Today on Bold Steps, Mark Job explores the prophetic lead-up to the birth of Jesus Christ. Do you want me to keep going? Okay, he's the prophet in Mark chapter 6, the redeemer in Job chapter 19, the risen Savior in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the sacrifice for our sins, the Son of the Most High in Luke chapter 1, the supreme creator over all the world. Yeah, I'm talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, King of kings and Lord of lords. Welcome to Bold Steps with Mark Job, president of Moody Bible Institute and senior pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and just before the Christmas weekend, we began a very special message about the predictions, preparations, and timing of Jesus' birth. All throughout the Old Testament, we find clues and predictions leading up to the coming of a Savior. And we discussed in part one of our lesson, it's clear that the birth of Christ was pre-planned by God from the beginning of creation. In case you missed the first half of this lesson called Arrivals, God's Master Plan, we encourage you to catch up when you can by visiting our website, boldstepsradio.org. But right now, let's join our Bible teacher, Mark Job, for the rest of this message today on Bold Steps. In the Psalms, Christ appears time after time, including when David describes him as the shepherd. Isaiah details the glorious birth 700 years before the birth of Jesus, I already read this, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Jeremiah reveals that he will be acquainted with sorrows. In Daniel, he appears with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace as the fourth man. What, the Scott, what theologians call a theophany, a manifestation of the pre-incarnate Christ. Daniel depicts exactly the time and the moment that Jesus will be born 500 years before his birth. Joel describes him as the hope of his people. Amos tells that Jesus is the judge of all nations. Obadiah warns of the coming of the eternal kingdom. Jonah offers a picture of Jesus being dead for three days as he was in the belly of the whale for three days and then spit out on the shore and and tells us that a day will come where Jesus will be buried and resurrected on the third day. Zephaniah says that he will be the king over all Israel. Zacharias is the prophet who speaks of Jesus riding on a colt as he entered into Jerusalem. Malachi, or some of my Hispanic friends say Malachi, is the one who calls him the son of righteousness. That was 420 years before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. 300 prophecies. He's coming. He's coming. Get ready for the arrival. Emmanuel, Bethlehem, son of David, redeemer, liberator, Messiah. He's coming. All of Israel had this expectation. One day the Messiah will come. They didn't know who, when, or how. They didn't know where we would come from. They didn't know what he would look like, but they knew that he was coming. It had been predicted, prophesied, pointed to. In fact, the town of his birth had been described hundreds of years in advance as this tiny, unknown outpost called Bethlehem. In the New Testament, 
a relative of a young girl named Mary. Mary had had this extraordinary experience where, she, where an angel had shown up and had told her that she was chosen, that she would be the one that she would carry within her womb, one that we'd be the Messiah. She didn't quite understand how it would be or what it would look like. She was engaged to be married but had had no relationship with the man and suddenly she found herself pregnant. She goes to meet her relative Elizabeth who's also pregnant and little did she know that Elizabeth was pregnant with Jesus' second cousin called John the Baptizer. When these two pregnant women meet, the Bible says that John the Baptizer in the womb of his mother jumps because he's in the presence of Jesus, the Messiah. And then on that day, all of heaven held its breath. The world went on like although nothing was extraordinary was happening. In Bethlehem, people were signing up for taxes. There was noise and congestion and people walking around. But all heaven stood still. The angels held their breath all this was the pinnacle of thousands of years of prophecy, something extraordinary was about to happen, something that would change the course of humanity, something that would alter the destiny of millions of people. Yes, it was God, God himself being incarnate as a baby. The God of the universe, the almighty God, the God with no beginning, no ending, the eternal I am, the Logos, the God that is sovereign, the God that knows all things, the God that is omnipresent, the God that is omnipotent, suddenly, suddenly packaging himself as a fetus. Never before in the history of humanity. And John 1.14 says, and the word, the Logos, Jesus became human and lived here with us. We saw his true glory, the glory of the Son of the Father. From him all kindness and all truth of God have come down to us. The timing of God. But in God's master plan is not only the timing, it's also the prediction. And I want to talk to you about the prediction and the preparation. Listen, it says in verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law. I don't have time to go verse by verse through this because it would take us hours to do so. There's about 300 prophecies that refer to Jesus coming. But you say, what are in those prophecies and how detailed do they get? Well, I'm just going to give you about 40 of those prophecies in staccato format here. Are you ready? The prophecies about Jesus, hundreds of years, all these hundreds of years before he was born, tell us that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Jesus would be born of a virgin. Jesus would come from the line of Abraham. Jesus would be the descendant of Isaac. Jesus would be the descendant of Jacob. Jesus would come from the tribe of Judah. These prophecies hundreds of years before tell us that Jesus would be the heir of King David's throne. God spoke to David and he said, hey, David, I'm going to give you a kingdom that will be everlasting, everlasting kingdom. 
And Jesus was born through the lineage of David, and we call Jesus King of kings and Lord of lords because his kingdom is from everlasting to everlasting. He reigns not on a kingdom on earth, but he reigns in a kingdom that's an eternal kingdom, and it was predicted hundreds of years before. It tells us that Jesus would be called Emmanuel. Jesus would spend a season in Egypt. Do you remember? Egypt is in northern Africa, and when the killing of the children happened, Joseph and Mary fled from Israel to northern Africa, a place called Egypt, and he was there for some time before returning back to Israel. It tells us that Jesus Jesus would be declared the Son of God. It tells us that he would be called the Nazarene because he grew up in the area of Nazareth. It tells us that he would bring to light Galilee. Jesus would be sent to heal the brokenhearted. It's prophesied that a massacre of children would happen at a Messiah's birthplace. The Magi came. They showed up to King Herod and they said, where is the king that is born? And King Herod said, what king are you talking about? They said, we've seen it in the stars. It's been prophesied about. He says, tell me where that's at because I want to eliminate my rival. And then he killed every child that was two years old and under. It was prophesied hundreds of years before that there would be a massacre of children. The wailing, would, the wailing mothers would come out at the birth of Jesus the Messiah. A messenger would prepare the way of the Messiah called John the Baptizer. Jesus' price, money would be used to buy a potter's field. It was prophesied that Jesus would be falsely accused, that Jesus would be silent before the accusers, that Jesus would be spat upon and struck, that Jesus would be hated without a cause, that Jesus would be crucified with criminals, that Jesus would be given vinegar to drink, and he was on the cross given vinegar to drink, prophesied hundreds of years before that vinegar, even what he drank, would, be, would come true. It's prophesied that his hands and feet would be pierced, that Jesus would be mocked and ridiculed, that Jesus' bones would not be broken, that Jesus would pray for his enemies, that soldiers would pierce the Messiah's side, that Jesus would be buried with the rich, that Jesus would resurrect from the dead, that Jesus would ascend to heaven, that Jesus would be seated at God's right hand, and that Jesus would be a sacrifice for our sins, all prophesied. Hundreds of years before he came. His name would be Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted means God with us. I like the way that Max Lucado in his book, God Came Near, describes the coming of Jesus. Many of us have a manger scene in our homes, or maybe you have one lit up in front of your house. There's always a baby Jesus. In some church instances, the baby Jesus is stolen as a prank. I heard of one church that they kept stealing baby Jesus, so they put a GPS in baby Jesus. <laughs> and put some cameras out in front of the church. Imagine someone showing up at your house and saying, hey, is Jesus here? 
But what we fail to realize is the significance of that baby Jesus. We fail to understand always the spiritual, prolific, and profound implications of the God-man. Max Lucado says this, that particular moment was like no other. For through that segment of time, a spectacular thing occurred. God became man. While the creatures of the earth walked unaware, divinity arrived. Heaven opened herself up and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent, in one instant, made himself breakable. He, who had been a spirit, now was pierceable. He, who was larger than the universe, became an embryo. And he who sustained the world with a word chose to become dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus. Imagine that. Holiness sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God had come near. Emmanuel. God with us. Imagine that. Now you know why heaven held their breath. Now you know why it's the pinnacle of our calendar year, why there's a before and why there's an after. I want you to understand the significance of it because I believe that oftentimes our Christmas is so shallow. We see the picture of Jesus in the womb, and he's Diosito that we pray to. But let me tell you, he's much more than Diosito. He's the almighty, omnipotent God of the universe that has always been, that will always be, the God that has no limit to his power. And lastly, I want you just, with the few minutes that we have here, I want to just talk to you about why he came, his adoption plan. The Bible tells us that, yeah, in the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem those that were under the law. And then he tells us the reason. He says, so that we might receive the adoptions of sons, sons and daughters, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What does Abba mean? No, it's not the name of a band in the 70s. No, it's much more than that. Abba, hey, Abba is a word that comes from the Aramaic. The Old Testament is in Hebrew and Aramaic. The Aramaic word, it's an intimate word associated with the Father. Simply, Daddy. Jesus came so that you and I would no longer just be creations of God, slaves to sin, under the law, 
but so that we would be liberated from the condemnation that was over us because we could not measure and attain to that level of perfection so that our guilt would be wiped away and now we would go from created beings to sons and daughters adopted by the Most High God. Amen. Oh, this is powerful. Don't miss it. You say, well, Pastor, I thought that we're all sons and daughters of God. No, we're not. We are all God's creation, but there are only certain people that are sons and daughters, those who have been born again. The Bible tells us that if you're born again, the Spirit himself bears witness with your spirit that we are children of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 refers to Jesus by an interesting title. It says, for those who God foreknew, which means he knew in advance, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, referring to Jesus, that he may be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Listen, Jesus was sinless and righteous before the Father as a human being. The first in all of creation to be righteous before the Father. But there are many brothers and sisters that follow Jesus because of the sacrifice of Jesus. What Jesus did made a way for the Father. The, the, the curtain of the temple was ripped from top to bottom, indicating that there is now no partition between the Holy of Holies and the regular people, that now we have access to God through what Jesus has done for us. This is huge. He's called the firstborn among many brethren. But he's called much more than that. You can't understand the Christmas story unless you understand who Jesus is. We've downplayed Jesus. We've minimized Jesus. We haven't understood the breadth and significance and power of Jesus. But it's all about Jesus. The centrality of the Christian message is who Jesus is. Oh, here's just some words that refer to Jesus. The Bible says he's the Almighty One. In Revelation chapter 1, it says who is, who was, and who is to come. And you say, how do you know he's referring about Jesus? Because it says he was dead and now he's alive. Who was dead and who's alive? Jesus the Christ. What is he called? The Almighty One. Equal with the Father. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It tells us that he is Alpha and Omega in Revelation chapter 22. He's called the Advocate, which means he's the counselor interceding for us day and night on our behalf before the Father because of his righteousness. He's the author and perfecter of our faith, Hebrews chapter 12 says. He is the authority, Matthew 28 says. He's the bread of life, John 6 says. He's the beloved son of God, found in Matthew 3. He's the bridegroom, Matthew 9. He's the chief cornerstone upon which we build the entire foundation, and that's Psalms 118, 22. He is the deliverer. 1 Thessalonians 1, 10. He is faithful and true, Revelations 19. He's called the Good Shepherd, John 10. He's called the Great High Priest, Hebrews 4. He's called the Head of the Church, 
Yeah, Ephesians 1. He's called the Holy Servant, Acts 4. He's called the I Am in John chapter 8. He's called Emmanuel, God with us, in Isaiah chapter 7. He's called the indescribable gift in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He's called the judge in Acts 10. He's called, get this, the King of Kings. Oh, hey, there have been kings that were great. There have been powerful kings. You can go to the Museum of Science and Industry, and you'll see some artifacts of kings. There are kings, but there is only one king of kings, Lord of lords, master of the universe, almighty God, Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. The Bible says he's the Lamb of God in John chapter 1, the light of the world in John chapter 8, the Lion of the tribe of Judah in Revelation chapter 5. He's the Lord of all in Philippians chapter 2, the mediator in 1 Timothy 2, the Messiah in John chapter 1, the mighty one in Isaiah 60, the one who sets free in John chapter 8, our hope in 1 Timothy, our peace in Ephesians chapter 2. Do you want me to keep going? Okay, he's the prophet in, John, in Mark chapter 6, the redeemer in John, Job chapter 19, the risen savior in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the sacrifice for our sins, the savior in Luke chapter 2, the son of man in Luke chapter 19, the son of the most high in Luke chapter 1, the supreme creator over all the world. Yeah, I'm talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, king of kings and lord of lords. When you set out a manger, it's not just a nice little symbol of Christianity. I want you to look at that manger and remember your theology. Not a cute little baby born, but the God of the universe made into a fetus. Can I remind you, God has a master plan. He's got a master plan for your life, too. You say, well, Pastor, I wish you would just drop it in so I could kind of figure it out. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. The sovereign God of the universe has a plan for your life. You may be waiting the arrival, anxious, uncertain, but he's still King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You're listening to Bold Steps, the final part of a message from Mark Job. It's titled, Arrivals, God's Master Plan. And Mark, this is a great lesson to fix our perspective because here we are post-Christmas now and heading into a new year. Yeah, we are just about to go into a brand new year. And I know it's just a calendar issue, but I think it's a great time to reset our hearts on God. It is, yeah. And so, as you've just heard this message, God's master plan, I'm wondering if this is a great time to stop, pause, and say, as I go into the new year, what is it that I need to leave behind? What is it that I need to take on? And how do I need to make sure that Jesus is truly the Lord 
of my life as I go into this new year. Excellent. All right. Well, we look forward to being with our listeners in the new year. So pray for bold steps in our ministry. And you know what? The Christmas decorations are certainly still all around us, aren't they? Oh, here they'll the be up for a while. <laughs> yeah. well, let's, let's be reminded that the names of Jesus that we studied during the Advent season, it's a great study to happen all year long. And that's why our Bold Step gift, Unwrapping the Names of Jesus, is still a great gift. That's right. This, uh, this little booklet by Asherita Choo Choo, Unwrapping the Names of Jesus, it's not just for Christmas. We need to be thinking about who he is, what he's done, the implications of the name of Jesus, really every single day of the year. So let me encourage everyone listening to request your copy of this Bold Step gift today when you give a donation of any amount to support this ministry. And you can do that online at boldstepsradio.org. Or you can call us at 844-615-7363. That's 844-615-7363. You can also give your gift and request this book through the mail. Write to us at Bold Steps, 820 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60610. And then before we close today's program, we want to remind you to subscribe to our podcast on your phone or mobile device. When you do, you'll have 24-7 mobile access to all of these daily Bible lessons so you can listen during a walk, a workout, or wherever you go. Just open up the podcast app on your smart device and search for Bold Steps with Dr. Mark Job. And then don't forget to hit subscribe. And if you're on social media, be sure to link up with us there as well. You'll find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Bold Steps Radio. With that, I'm Wayne Shepherd signing off. Join us tomorrow as Mark begins a new message called What It Means to Release Spiritual Baggage and Cross Spiritual Borders. Find out Tuesday on Bold Steps with Mark Joe. Bold Steps is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.